Hello and welcome to the Sky U Podcast by The Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, go AU Fur. With me this week is Andy, Gopher Guy 05. Hello, hello. And U Street. Hey y'all. So, men's basketball's going on and I hear Gabe Kelsher's not making shots. It has not been a tremendously fantastic game to watch. We're currently recording this during the Minnesota-North Florida game. At the moment, we have just started the second half of that basketball game, and it is 38-38, to and Gabe Kalsher does not look like his fantastic self, which leads me to believe that this might be his freshman game, and if I'm honest, if your freshman game comes at North Florida during the non-conference time that doesn't matter, I'm pretty okay with that. I am also okay with that. Ohio State was a travesty and ugly, and Patino may or may not have sarcastically snapped at a question I asked during the press conference. Uh, Nebraska, on the other hand, was uh, an Amir Coffee party. So who wants to take a stab at this? Um, Andy, Street, who's got the, the first thoughts on Big Ten season so far? Well, I'll just come in and say something briefly, and then Street can come in with more of the details. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the Ohio State game was, was ugly, and the Nebraska game was uh, not so pretty for a while, but a great second half, and, and Amir Coffey just took over the game in the second half with a with a big, uh, you know, performance and, and willed them back into that game. And so that was pretty big. Um, you know, I think we saw what we're going to see, that the Big Ten is going to be uh, – ridiculously tough this year you know top through bottom it's it, i don't think there's anybody other than maybe michigan that's like cream of the crop nationally but you know there's probably 12 13 teams in the big 10 that if you don't bring your a game you could easily lose to if you uh if, if you if you try so um you know i think it's it's going to be a when we get further into conference play it's going to be a you know you better show up or else uh you're going to be hurting um but you know, one and one in early Big Ten play—that's that's what you could hope for. And you know, eight and two coming into to the North Florida game tonight. Um, you know, hopefully you you figure out a way to pull this ugly game out, and then you win your last two non-conference games and and go into the rest of the Big Ten season at eleven and two, and you got to be got to be pretty happy. Street. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. The early Big Ten games are super dumb. I know that that's like a thing that we do now because apparently slightly more television revenue is better, but the early Big Ten games are really dumb. It's hard to know who you have in your team. I would actually submit that neither Ohio State nor Nebraska look tremendously good. And I don't know if that's like, I don't think they're necessarily really good teams or I think Minnesota is good, but they were playing down or I think everyone is bad. I'm not totally sure on that front. Against Ohio State... Minnesota played really bad, but it wasn't that they were playing bad from a schematic perspective. They got a lot of open shots, so they just could not execute. And that's going to be a consistent bugaboo for this team all season, which is at some point they're going to have more games like the Ohio State game where they just cannot make shots. And it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you coach to put people in positions. It doesn't matter what adjustments you make. College basketball, like the NBA at a certain level, is a make-it-or-miss league especially in a world in which you're unable, because Ohio State in this case is quite good in in getting offensive rebounds. So as long as the Gophers are in a make-or-miss situation every night, having long stretches of painful offense is going to be a challenge. I think that's been a challenge for a couple of reasons. The first one is transitioning Amir Coffey to a point guard is an ongoing challenge. That doesn't mean I think he's bad at the point guard position. I, of course, have been on the drum that 
Coffee should have been a point forward his entire career, and I still think that's true. It's just how you get him into position to be successful is something that Bettina needs to work on. Several players currently are net minuses when they're on the floor. Jarvis Immersa doesn't give you anything on the offensive end. Isaiah Washington goes through stretches where it looks like he's actually fantastic, and then much longer stretches where he looks like he's anything but fantastic. Michael Hurd and Brock Stahl don't seem to have made the progress that we would like them to have early in the year. Daniel Oturo will be quite good, but is still in some sense recovering from injuries, still a freshman, and still needs to figure out a second counter move. His current one move is uh, not great. So those kinds of things mean that when the team plays badly, you're going to have a game like Ohio State where it goes off the rails. On the other hand, I will agree with our currently absent colleague, Zips of Akron, that this team does have a very high floor, and they haven't come close to hitting their ceiling. There's been a couple of games this year for stretches of periods of time, most notably the Oklahoma State game at U.S. Bank a couple of weeks back, where they kind of hit their gear. They didn't do it for very long. They did it for about five minutes. And that team looks dominatingly good. I'm not going to say they like win the Big Ten good, because that strikes me as Michigan's thing to lose, but definitely top three, top four in the league. I mean, that team is fantastically good. The trouble is we're only seeing that team ever so often for about five minutes, and we're not seeing it consistently. The other thing that was very positive from the Nebraska game was that the most talented player on the floor finally acted like it. Jordan Murphy is your best player on this team. And that's obvious. When in doubt, you can always go to Jordan to get a bucket. He'll come up with a big rebound. He's getting to be a better passer. He's constantly getting fouled. Jordan Murphy at the college level is absolutely your best player. And the fact that he consistently gets left off, not only like all Big Ten player of the year questions, but all American at the college level is absurd, given that if he doesn't get a double-double in a given night, something has gone horrifically wrong. And that's nuts. Jordan Murphy, however, is not your most talented basketball player. That's Amir Coffey. When Amir Coffey plays up to that talent, he is a special basketball player to watch. Do I think that he's going to be an NBA player for 12 seasons? I have no idea. Probably not. I do know that Coffey's ceiling is an NBA first-round draft pick, like, you know, mid, late, late top 10 to mid-15 kind of draft pick. He's a very good basketball player. And against Nebraska, I don't know, maybe he got mad or something, or he got in a situation where he sort of has to will his team to win. That coffee is a special, special player. And if we see him during the Big Ten season, I think the Govers have a chance to win basically every ballgame they play. Going forward, certainly they have to beat North Florida tonight, and they have to round out the non-conference schedule. But I think the big challenge for the men will be they have to win every game at home. But they need to figure out a way to steal a couple on the road in order to make it in the Big Ten. As Andy said, this is going to be a really, really hard Big Ten this year. And the Gophers look noticeably worse on the road. They were really bad against Boston College. They were really bad against Ohio State. Some of that, I think, was travel. Some of that was the other guys uh, played well. Some of it was our guys played really badly. But something about the road's tough for this team. They do not look the same at all. And that's got to change for Big Ten play. Yeah, the, being at Ohio State, they were – I was talking to Marcus Fuller after the game, and he, he kind of feels like uh, – Name drop, humble brag. Uh, 
uh, he feels like if <laughs> when they don't shoot well, they get in a funk, and this is a bad shooting team to begin with. And at least on the road, that kind of feels somewhat right. Like they just they seemed tentative and unable to execute anything, and then they started playing sloppy and slow and lagging around. It was it was frankly, yeah, it was it was ugly. And I don't blame anyone who turned it off early because you missed nothing the rest of that game. Um, I don't know. Anything else for basketball? Well, just back to the North Florida game real quick since Street may have turned it off. But, uh, yeah, Gabe Kelcher, when, when, when he was saying he's having his freshman game, um, I'm pretty sure he was talking about his freshman and high school game because he's been just absolutely atrocious. Like si- Since we said he was playing terrible, he's played even worse. He's now currently 0 for 7 from the field, 0 for 5 from behind the arc. He's turned the ball over three times, and his efficiency is negative 9. That's not good. That's really not good. How does, how does one have negative efficiency? You're 0 for 7 from the field, and you've turned the ball over three times. I think it is fair to suggest that at least in this game, negative efficiency indicates that you would be better, your team would be better, if you just were not playing. Which is why I'm curious why Patino, I mean, I guess he's trying to get him going, whatever, and I, and, and legitimately he is, you know, a better option, but he, he just took Stull out a few minutes to put Kalsher back in, and, and since Gabe's come back in, he's missed two more shots and turned the ball over twice. So why why is... Why is Patino letting him roll right now? Why do you not make that change? Two words. North Florida. I mean, yeah, I suppose, but the only the only good thing is is uh, Jordan Murphy has cleaned up about four of Kalsher's misses with offensive rebound and putbacks underneath. So um, he's got... Padding the stats. There, there's 12-something left in the game, and, and Murphy has 16 rebounds, six of them offensively as Gabe misses another three-pointer and Stockman gets the offensive board this time. Uh, but, yeah, it <laughs> it's, a, it's a tale of uh, two players right now, and it, it's fairly obvious that uh, they're just letting Gabe keep popping. But um, some Sometime, I think, with shooters, you actually do really need them to just shoot through it in some sense. So maybe that's part of what this is. If we transition, as I think we're about to do here, to the women, one of the things that the men would do well to take from the women is looking for great shots, so passing up good shots to take great shots. One of the things that I think this team does poorly, and they do poorly not because I think they're incapable of it, but rather often I think they choose not to, is they settle for at best good shots. And what the women have done very well, particularly when the women's basketball team is really cooking, is that they will get a good shot. Let's say it's a corner three or something. And it's it's definitely a good shot. They've got space. And the first thing they do is see if someone has an even better shot. The men have the ability to do that. And when they're playing phenomenally well, they do it regularly. That thing, they just need to figure out for conference play. Because there are lots of times where they are settling for mediocre or good shots or just, well, I guess that one was open, I'll take it. As opposed to seeing, maybe I can find something else within the flow of our set. Uh, real quick before we transition to the women, it looks like uh, Isaiah Washington now has uh, 11 assists already with like half, more than, 
half of the second half left to play. Yeah, I think this is in some sense is a good game for Jelly. It's a pretty open game. But I will say, and there's lots of reasons to malign his progress, which has been very hit or miss. And it's really unfortunate that he has apparently lost his ability to score. And very much so, he's a volume shooter. He needs an offense to work around him. When Washington just chooses to be a super pass-first point guard, he's really good on the offensive floor. Defense, eh. But on the offensive end, he's really great as a pass-first point guard. I just think it's, in some sense, goes against the way he wants to play a basketball game. And that's why it's hard for him. Yeah, because when he gets into dribbling mode is when things get kind of ugly. You know, like, doesn't look to pass first. He, he just wants to maneuver around everyone with the dribble. That's when it seems to go it'll be really, less well. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. I mean, obviously the loss of Marcus Carr was a big loss for them. But there is a world in which Isaiah Washington is very much the star point guard that he was supposed to be. And he can act like that. I think, honestly, the biggest story from the non-conference and like fake conference part for the man is that this team is a good basketball team. They have just chosen not to act like it for extended stretches. At what point does that stop being they are a good basketball team and start becoming they're not a good basketball team? Well, I think in some sense that's a coaching question. Uh, Probably sometime... I don't know, probably six games into conference if they're still not fixing that problem. Because really, there is a lot of integration that has to be done to this team. And the most important part for that integration hasn't yet seen the floor, which is Eric Curry. We have no idea what he's going to look like coming back from knee surgery. He could look as good as he did at the end of his freshman year, making that big leap. Or he could, I assume he'll be very rusty, but he could look really bad. I have no idea there are a lot of things that they're trying to do and are trying to work with both in terms of the offensive sets, how you want to play defense. They got a lot of freshmen playing. So that's why I think there is at least some sense, uh, not necessarily for Patino's job prospects, because I maintain that if they don't make the NCAAs, you probably want to seriously think about moving on this year. But for the team going forward, there's a lot of pieces that are really good and it's an integration problem. All right. Women's basketball undefeated. Number 13 in the country. Multiple players playing outstanding basketball. Is this kind of what you guys expected? Or is this a complete surprise to you at this point in the season? And we'll start with Andy. You know, I mean, I think we knew from from last season uh, that they they were going to be good. And they were basically bringing back uh, pretty much everybody. Um, Destiny Pitts was the Big Ten Freshman of the Year. And you had Kenesha Bell, both of whom were named, you know, preseason pre uh, big 10 uh you know first team players um you know and i, and I think you're seeing some of the development uh Taye bello i don't think was anywhere well not i don't think she wasn't anywhere close to as productive as she's been so far this season last year uh and you're getting you're getting game out of annalise lamke which annalise lamke didn't see the floor at all last year thanks marlene stallings for not wanting to play the point at all or the post at all but um you know, I think the, the Gophers have, have looked really good. And and the one thing that has really been obvious with this team, and, and I think it's a direct correlation to their head coach, is this team has fourth-quarter toughness. Uh, both the Syracuse game and the Boston College game, uh, they trailed, you know, early two minutes into the fourth quarter, and then they figured it out. 
And once they got it figured out, they went on a roll and, and had big scoring runs. And, and the Boston College game last week, um, for example, now half of this was Boston College taking horrible shots, but the Gophers held Boston College without a point for six and a half minutes in the fourth quarter. That's incredible. Um, you know, and and they made their shots, and, and Destiny Pitts basically took that game over 35 points, new career high for her. Um you know, and she hit 11 to 12 free throws in the fourth quarter. Basically, literally, she she won the game right there. Um, this the, the one thing that I think is really positive going forward into the Big Ten is this team has multiple playmakers who can who can win the game for you, whether it be Pitts or Bell or uh, working the ball inside to Bell and Lamke. Bell had a horrible game on Sunday, but Pitts took the game over and won it on her shoulders. Pitts was awful to start the season, but you had Bell and you had Bellow who basically won those games on their shoulders. So, um, no, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think I would have predicted them to be the 13th ranked team in the country as of this point. And, and legitimately, they have two non-conference games left who they should kill both of them. Um, so we're looking at going to the Big Ten undefeated, and, and the first Big Ten game isn't really, you know, couple games in so it's quite possible that this team could reach top 10 levels by the time they play a tough big 10 game which i i you know i think we all hoped at one point they'd get there but i don't think anybody realistically thought they'd be there this soon under whalen street how are you feeling co-assigned to everything that andy said i will additionally as i believe everyone in this podcast knows and anyone who's listening to us last year knows i was not a tremendous fan of marlene stallings in how she played. I think the other big difference between Stalins and Whalen is just how much better they've gotten on the defensive end, which admittedly is not tremendously hard since defense was pseudo-optional under the Stalins regime. In situations this year where they've struggled offensively, their defense has been locked down. And that's not just a credit to Whalen, who I think has had an excellent start to her coaching career. It's hard to come up with, obviously, a better start than being undefeated as long as that continues. But also, she's put together quite a good staff. And that staff is clearly doing a good job. I think Carly Tibble is responsible for defense, and she's doing really well there. Uh, Danielle O'Bannon coming back has looked quite good is that kind of role of coaching bigs. Kelly Roysland's doing, I think, a good job as well. So Will and staff seems thus far to be doing a successful job with her, with her players. It's also very clear that there is, I think you, I think you pick up and it's an intangible thing. Chris, obviously you are our college basketball expert in terms of in terms of playing but i think there is something about how you pick up a little bit from your coach i don't think you pick up necessarily a lot i don't think it's gonna like matter for games in and out but there is something about how if you have a coach who you're just like yeah that person's great that you kind of pick up some of her traits and the trait that i think the team has really picked up from whalen is being really relaxed in the fourth quarter I don't mean relaxed and like, oh, well, they don't really care very much, but relaxed and it's like, we're going to win. Yeah, that makes sense. The The toughest opponent that they played this year was, was Syracuse. And in that game, there was very much this world of like, no, we are as good. We're definitely as good, if not better than this team. We're going to win. And there never seems to have lost that confidence. And that'll take you a long way, I think. I think teams frequently overperform from an intangible basis. Again, at some point, like the team that's more talented is going to beat the team that's less talented, as I very much hope occurs in this Minnesota-North Florida game tonight. 
just on a there's a sheer talent margin but if the talent's close it's often the case that the team that just like wants it a little bit more is going to get there and it is hard to come up with a better role model for that than Lindsay Whalen so I think from from that perspective, from a coaching thing, I think she's doing really well. Schemes are looking good. As Andy said, different players have stepped up. Annalise Lampke looks like a good player. I was very worried before the season that they would have absolutely no post presence, and thus far I've been happily wrong about that. So, you know, doing pretty well. Well, just looking back, I had this in my article, if anybody read it, which you probably didn't, but that's okay. Um you know, looking back at, at the stats, that this is now the third best start to a women's uh, basketball team in, in school history. And, and like I said, they've got the potential here for at least three or four more wins to try and encroach on, on the second best start. Um, I don't think it's any coincidence that the one common denominator from the three best starts in women's basketball history is number 13. Um, obviously, as I said, this is the, this is the third best start. Uh, the second best start was Lindsey Whalen's junior season, where the Gophers started 12 and 0, uh, before reaching the NCAA Sweet 16. And their first best season in school history was Lindsey Whalen's senior season, when they started 15 and 0, and that was the Final Four run year. So, um, you know, I I think just as, as Street was saying, I think a lot of Whalen's traits as a player she's bringing out as a coach and it's rubbing off on her players and and uh yeah the this team seems to have tenacity and they've got scoring options and they're playing considerably better defense and um you know i I, i'm not going to say this is a national final four type caliber team but no uh, not right now but if this team can continue to play like this there's absolutely no reason why it can't be a second weekend of the NCAA tournament type team and you know, it'll be interesting to see when they really find some, face some adversity. Um, you know, that first loss where they just completely, nobody's hitting anything like that, how they bounce back from that. But, um, you know, right now, I, I, like I said, I think anybody has to be impressed with the job that Whalen's done as, as the coach of this team and the players have adapted to her style. And um, it, it's a really impressive thing right now. And, and uh, everybody should be pretty, pretty pleased and happy and proud. Her first recruiting class was solid. Obviously, what everyone I think really cares about is the second recruiting class. Uh, In the caring is creepy front, there is potentially the next Lindsey Whalen up at Hopkins, who was very much going to go to UConn and may still obviously go to UConn or Notre Dame. But you keep performing really well. I think it should be really hard to say no to Lindsey Whalen. Yeah, I mean, Paige Buchers is her name uh, from Hopkins, as you said, class of 2020. And so uh, it'll be about this time next year when we're, we're finding out where she's going to go to college. And, and that would be that would literally be the coup. If, if Whalen can get her to stay home, um, you know, that that could be the move that turns this this team from a legitimate, you know, top three, four in the Big Ten to an actual national contender. Um but also, I don't think anybody can get on her if she decides to go to one of the Blue Bloods, the Yukons and the Notre Dames, and can fault Whalen for that. But, um, but yeah, if, if, if she decides to stay home because she wants to play for Lindsey Whalen, watch out because the sky might be the limit for this team. All right, on that extremely positive note, I'm going to make the quick transition to horribleness and talk. We need to talk about volleyball and that, that not-so-good, very bad game against Oregon. Andy, what the hell happened? Man, I don't know. I, I was watching that, and and, and 
you know, I think what what killed him was that was that second set. Um, for anybody who was watching, the Gophers ended up losing the second set to Oregon. I'm gonna I don't have the number directly in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it was forty forty three forty one or something like that. Something in the low forties, absolutely stupid. And um, I mean, it was a total momentum drain. The Gophers thought they had it won at least once, uh, and then a call, rightfully, it was the right call, was reversed, and, and Oregon got a point. And Oregon thought they had it won a couple of times, um, and either a call was reversed or the Gophers made miraculous saves to keep it going. But you could just tell, I, I you know, watching it the entire time, I'm just sitting there going, you know, whoever loses the set is in deep trouble um, because the momentum and the and, and was so high and now in roller coaster, and then unfortunately Oregon pulled it out and you could just tell the Gophers came up from the third set looking flat and terrible it was the worst set they literally have played all season long um Oregon absolutely destroyed them and, and that was the beginning of the end uh the Gophers tried clawing back in the, in the fourth set but Oregon pulled it out and you know sometimes it's just one of those teams where they've got your number and, and Oregon sure seemed to have Minnesota's number this year the Gophers lost four matches all year two of them were the Ducks and uh, they, for whatever reason, and could really match up well, and and uh, it was a really tough loss. And you know, I I think everybody, all the Gopher fans, were hoping that Minnesota could to keep going, winning at home, and and play their way into the the final four this weekend at Target Center. But uh, but instead, I think Target Center is going to have a lot of red in it this weekend. Luckily, it's Nebraska red and not Wisconsin red, as Wisconsin lost to Illinois, and so. Uh, There'll be Nebraska and Illinois in one semifinal and Stanford and BYU in the other. Um, probably, unless something weird happens, sitting up in Nebraska, Stanford final, which coincidentally is a rematch of, or actually Texas was in it against Nebraska last year. But Nebraska's going for their second title in a row and they're peaking at the right time. Um, yeah, because they were playing, they were playing garbage middle of the season. They were, they were, and all of a sudden they've turned it around. And 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 had Minnesota won, I think that Nebraska Minnesota Elite Eight match would have been just insane because the Gophers were one of those teams that seems to have Nebraska's number recently. Um, but alas, it didn't happen. Nebraska cleaned up. They swept Oregon, and I I think they have a very legitimate shot to win it all this weekend. But. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see this Gopher team going forward. They return almost everybody. Uh, they only lose one key senior next year. Of course, it's Samantha Sedliger-Swenson, who was the Big Ten Player of the Year and arguably has probably a decent shot at being named National Player of the Year. I don't think she'll get it just of the way. I don't know when the voting was that done, if that was before the NCAA tournament or if it's still through it. If it's before the NCAA tournament, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, later this week at the when the national awards are named, She'll for sure be a first-team All-American for the fourth straight year, which is just almost unheard of. Um, So she'll be a huge loss. I'm not actually sure who the Gophers will have to to play the the setter position next year. Um, I think they have a fairly good freshman who may be coming in, and and maybe she can take over the role like like Silliger Swenson did four years ago and just dominate it for four years. But, uh, no, the Gophers will have a lot of talent coming back. Uh, It's just too bad, obviously, the Final Four won't be won't be in Minneapolis next year, so um, we'll have to see. But with Hugh McCutcheon and, the, and this team, I'm sure they'll be competitive in an in, in insane Big Ten once again. Um, you just hope that they can they can find a way to, to get back to the, the upper levels once again. All right. Uh, hockey. So we turn to Alex now, Street. you got to be... You got to be walking us through hockey. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what happened for the the men's hockey team this weekend? 
Yeah, they won and got a tie against Michigan. I super was aware that was happening. But I, uh, I'm going to throw this to Andy, who may have slightly more detail on that situation. <laughs> well, it, it was interesting. Um, you know, as, as people may or may not realize, the Big Ten has, has changed their overtime formats uh, this year. So now the, the conference play, at least, uh, you start out by playing five minutes of five-on-five overtime. And um, after five minutes, it goes down as a tie for, for pairwise for NCAA tournament considerations. But then you play five minutes of three-on-three overtime um and if that's still tied, you go to the shootout. But that's just for the extra Big Ten conference standing point. Um, and, of course, the Gophers had not done that until two weeks ago when they when they hosted Ohio State at Mariucci. And both games ended in 2-2 ties. And both games went to the double overtime period. And both games, Ohio State scored the goal on 3-on-3 three three overtime. Um, so what happened Friday night? Michigan and Minnesota were tied 2-2. And it went to the double overtime, and Michigan scored in three-on-three overtime to get the extra point. So uh, Minnesota was just looking to try and avoid that happening for a fourth consecutive game. Um, and it didn't look good. Uh, it was tied 3-3 going down the stretch, but Brent Gates Jr. got a nice tip-in goal with about two minutes left in the game, and, and the Gophers won 4-3 Saturday night to get a big win. Um, puts them in fourth right now in the Big Ten standings as we go to the, the holiday break. Um you know, I think Minnesota just needs to try and figure out. They're looking a little bit better, at least offensively. Um, you know, Matt Robson's been absolutely insane uh, in that for the Gophers. He, in Friday night's game against Michigan, stopped 50-some saves. Um, he's just been absolutely lights out. So if the Gophers can ride him and, and figure out a way to put the puck in the net, I think there's there's a decent chance they could finish in the top of the top half of the Big Ten and get home ice for the for the first round of the Big Ten tournament, but um, they still got to play Notre Dame twice, who's leading the conference. They still got to play Penn State twice, who scored nine goals against Notre Dame on Saturday night, which was just insane. Um, and they still have to play at Ohio State, so it, it sure is not going to be an easy second half, but uh, um, you know, I think things are maybe trending upwards, but uh, we'll find out. They get a couple weeks off here, and then they get... Uh, one quick non-conference series at home uh, against Ferris State in between Christmas and New Year's before they jump back in and uh, finish Big Ten the rest of the way here in January and February. All I can hear in my head now is uh, uh, that Ed Rooney principal character in Ferris Bueller going nine goals and saying it in that very movie way. If no one knows that reference, that means I'm old and I hate all of you. Uh, Women's hockey. If I'm correct, they got another sweep this weekend. They did. They uh, they played Robert Morris, who uh, you know Robert Morris isn't isn't that good of a team, but they are currently winning um, the CHA conference, which is like basically the the little sisters of the poor conference of of the teams out east. Um, so it's quite possible, and and the way things may break out with the pairwise, we can get to that later in the year. But they they may be coming back here. Um, for a NCAA quarterfinal if things break the right way. But the Gophers pretty much had their way with them. Um, they won 6-1 on Friday and, and 5 nothing on Saturday. Really didn't look tested at all. Um, this team's clicking on all cylinders right now, ranked number two in the country, uh, just behind Wisconsin. And, and the Gophers uh, got a big split against the Badgers when they played them earlier in the year in Madison. So, um, you know, 
for anybody who follows Williams, well, women's hockey, it, it's fairly obvious that Minnesota and Wisconsin are uh, by far the top two teams in the country again this year. Um, everybody else is having troubles, but the Gophers and Badgers just keep rolling on. So um, it's probable that one of the two teams will end the other one's season when it comes down to the line in March. But uh, we just hope that... Uh, if recent history continues to trend, so it'll be the Gophers ending the Badger season rather than the opposite way. I don't know, guys. That's a lot of sports talk. Who's got extra? extra anything extra fun for the end of tonight? Gabe Kalcher still doesn't have a bucket. He's 0 for 10 from the field, 0 for 8 from three-point line. How many assists does Jelly have now? Currently 13. School record's what, 16? Correct. In case anybody's watching this in live time, it's uh, 65-64 Gophers with uh, about four and a half minutes to play. So um, they, they as, as we said before, have, have not looked great, but uh, hopefully they'll do just enough to, uh, to get this win here and uh, get out with an ugly, ugly, ugly win. I love that we have a game where, you know, legitimately – like almost school record assists for a point guard and we're playing a terrible team and we're not blowing them out by 20. There is a lot of stuff that will be needed to be fixed over the next couple of weeks. All right. uh, And on that cheery note, fingers crossed for a win. Go Gophers. Skyuma. Row the boat. Go Gophers. Row the boat.